guys have a seat. Good morning. It's good to be back together again. I will warn you, I've had a sun drop and a blueberry donut. Do not question my health decisions, but just know that you better have a seatbelt on today because we're going to get going. We're not going to slow down much, okay? Um, and we do have a baptism to share in at the end of the service as well, so that's a, a exciting thing too. And so, um, hey, have you ever experienced a moment, uh, a time in your life where it was just it was just mind-blowing, like a time in your life where you thought, what just happened to me? Like, what, did that really happen? Like, was that a real thing? Uh, for me, this is, uh, I don't know if y'all knew this, I used to play a little JV basketball um, back in high school, and so in 2003, uh, I was on the B team. I didn't make the, like, the main varsity squad, but I was on the B team, and so we played like six games that year. There was like eight or eight of us on the team. And we roll over, to, I don't know if y'all know this about the B team, but you don't, like your coach doesn't travel with you because you're the B team and like nobody comes to watch you because you're the B team. And so uh, we rolled over to Elmont High School, which was our crosstown rival. And we rolled up in Elmont, um, not really expecting to do a whole lot, but I can say that, call me a liar if you want, we put up 96 points. B-team basketball, 2003, we put it, and if you don't know, that's a lot, okay, that's a lot, and for us, um, for us, it was, it was pretty incredible, all three of our perimeter shooters were on fire, I ran into one of them last night, I already had this written in my sermon, I ran into him at a, a kid's birthday party, and I was like, hey, Matt, do you remember that game, he's like, dude, that was a crazy game, what was that, like, when we look back at that game, it seems like it was surreal. Like, it was this Steph Curry-like thing that existed long before Steph Curry. And, like, our guys just couldn't, couldn't miss. And when I look back on that moment, I have trouble. Like, now I kind of think back at the moment, and, and, and I see it a little bit better. The, ta- the text we're going to look at today is a moment. It's a little bit bigger than a B-team basketball game. But we're looking at a moment that those that were in it, had a hard time processing what was going on. They were in the moment going, well, this, is, this is a lot. This, what all is happening? And so it isn't until years later that they're able to look back and really realize what happened. And so I want to read the passage to you. Mark chapter 9. should have told you that earlier. So I'll give you a couple seconds to get there now. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 2 through 10. And uh, we're going to spend some time in the text today just... Uh, having some fun. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them. His clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them, also with Moses, And they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Mark gives us this little tidbit. He didn't know what to say. He was terrified. A cloud appeared overshadowing them. A voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And then they talked among themselves, questioning what in the world rising from the dead meant. So a lot of clarity 
going on here. But let's, uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about this some more. Father, I, we do thank you for your word. And God, I thank you. Um, as I prayed in the first service, God, that even the disciples who walked with Jesus and experienced incredible things sometimes didn't have a clue what was going on in the world. And God, as somebody who still gets confused and I still have troubles always seeing your hand and always seeing exactly what you're doing, uh, God, that it's okay for me to not always see the answers and not always know. And so, God, today, as we as we look at this this transfiguration of Jesus and this moment of uh, just a weird, crazy thing that happened, but God, I pray that you give us clarity to see why this happened and what was going on uh, in the biblical text from beginning to end within this story. And so, uh, God, give us clarity of mind today. As we always pray, God, teach us to know you and be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love this story um, because Jesus doesn't seem to warn them at all that it's about to happen. It's this crazy moment where something weird happens to Jesus, and Peter, James, and John are three of his 12 disciples, and those are the only one Jesus allows to climb the mountain with them. And I picture them hiking the mountain, because y'all know if you've been here a little while, you know I'm a visual guy. I like to, I'm a movie watcher, not a big book reader, okay? Judge me if you want. But I like, so, so I'm picturing this in a movie. And so I picture Jesus and the, the three guys walking with them. And I picture Jesus getting about 15 yards ahead of them. He's kind of picking up his pace a little bit. And then in a moment, just boom, some, this crazy bright light is coming from Jesus. All they can do is say it looks like his clothes were just glowing. And then there's two famous dead guys with him. And like, this is what, this is what's going on. This is what's going on in the text. And so I'll be, as I've, as I've I told the first service, I, haven't, I hadn't studied this passage a whole lot um, before this week. This is one of those passages that for me, every time I read it, I go, this seems too crazy. Like there's things in here I don't understand. I have a lot of questions for this text that have mostly gone unanswered. I haven't sought the answers to those until this week. And so I want to share my journey with you that I went on this week, um, just kind of through some, albeit nerdy stuff, uh, biblically. So we're going to answer these three questions. What did they see? What was it actually that they saw? Just the facts. What did those things mean within the biblical text? And what did it do to those that saw it? Okay? So, dive into number one. What did they see? What did they see? Well, Mark tells us that they went up. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus. He led them up the mountain by themselves to be alone. And he was transfigured in front of them. That's the word that's used. So um, Mark and Matthew both use the word. It gets translated transfigured for us. But it's the Greek word metamorpho. Okay? Totally butchering it because I don't speak Greek. But what? When, but it's where we get our word metamorphosis. Right? And so when you think about metamorphosis, let's see if we can read each other's minds a little bit. When you think of metamorphosis, what comes to your mind? I was not expecting Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Just a second. I'm going to rewrite my sermon. Ninja Turtles. So there were these, just these baby turtles that were going through the sewer. And then this stuff called ooze came into the sewer and it got on them and a rat. And they were metamorphosized into anthropomorphic turtles and a rat. And so, 
Dude, hang out with Ryan Black enough, he'll throw something at you. I thought of, I thought of butterflies. That's the only, I thought the only context I had for the word metamorphosis is second grade, right? Second grade, we watched, we had a little caterpillar in a cage, and that little caterpillar crawled up on the thing and wrapped itself up in a little blanket and stayed there for three weeks and busted out, and we had to take notes, and it was a science thing, you know. Like, that's what I thought about. Again, uh, other people... (laughs) Everybody first service just said butterflies. And like I just went on with a sermon and we got by it, Ryan. And now I can't stop thinking about it. Golly. All right, here we go, here we go. Ninja Turtles. But we don't, um, but the, the question is, okay, we, we know what it looks like for turtles to metamorphosize. We know what it looks like for a caterpillar to metamorphosize. But what does it look like for a man? I have no context for this. I have no I have, there's no other, there's no other text biblically or historically to even grasp what is going on in the text. And all Mark tells us is that he was transfigured in front of them and his clothes became dazzling, which is probably not a word we use either. Extremely white as no launder on earth could whiten them. And so what I want to do is just show you again, what did they see is all we're looking at first. We're going to get some deeper stuff here in a minute. But what we have is Jesus, three of his closest disciples, Six days have passed. All this is going to be important here in a moment. <laughs> Six days have passed since our last last week. If you were here last week, we talked about um, Jesus preaching to the crowds about what it looks like to follow him. Six days pass. On the seventh day, Jesus and his three disciples climb this mountain, and they experience what what we're going to call today a heaven meets earth moment. They meet. They have, they experience this thing that. That actually does happen throughout the biblical text, is that people get a glimpse of this Eden-like moment, this moment where where it's 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 otherworldly. It's very overwhelming to the people that experience it. We're going to talk about three people that experience it today. So they're climbing this mountain on the seventh day. They climb to the top of the mountain and they have this heaven meets earth experience. And there are two guy two guys who are supposed to be in heaven with Jesus. Who are, are not with, with God the Father, but they're here in this moment, Moses and Elijah. And then there's a lot of clouds and there's a voice. That's the facts. So that was the most boring point number one ever. But that's what they saw. Sixth day, seventh day, mountain, heaven meets earth, Moses and Elijah, clouds and voice. Okay? Now, I don't know if you know this. Again, Elijah and Moses were not Jesus' contemporaries um, on earth. Elijah lived eight to nine hundred years before Jesus. He was a prophet during the period of the kings. He was a pretty big deal. Um, his story is in First Kings. Then there's Moses, who lived fourteen to fifteen hundred years before. Moses was probably the f- second, if not the first, person that the Jews of Jesus' day thought about. He was the one who received the law from the Lord, and he was a big deal. So it would have been shocking for Jesus' disciples to see Moses and Elijah, who were not supposed to be on earth. And there's this cloud that overshadows them, a voice that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So you have all this stuff going on, and it's just, it's, it, it overwhelms the three disciples that experience it. And so... Again, that's where most of my study has gotten me to. I've got to that point and went, huh, 
that's weird. And then I went on to chapter or verse 11 or whatever comes next. But I want to look at this question. What does it mean? What did it mean? Why, why, why should this matter is where we're going to go. Why should this matter for Christians 2,000 years later? What was the point of the transfiguration? Now, again, if you've been here with us before, you know that to wrestle with a passage of Scripture, we have to notice that there are some terms that are worth uh, noticing, okay? And we call those uh, we call those hyperlinks here at East, okay? Because that's terminology that if you've been to any website or you've looked at Wikipedia because you didn't know an answer to something, you Googled something, you know what hyperlinks are, those little blue words that are underlined. And when you click on it, it carries you to a whole new page with more information about that particular word. Y'all, it's what the Bible does from beginning to end. What we're seeing in this story as you read the biblical story, if you're a good reader of God's word, you'll notice little phrases and little and images and, and characters that already have a story. And so we've got to click on that hyperlink and go and look at what their story has. And it begins at the very beginning. What were the first three words? Verse 2. After six days. After six days. So Jesus spoke with the crowds and he said... To follow me means to deny yourself, take up your cross. He talked about that in tense. That was last Sunday. If you missed it, go back and listen. But Jesus leads these three disciples up after six days, which means it's now the seventh day. Thank you. And Jesus is going with him. And so if you're good, and again, this is, this is nerdy stuff, but if you're reading the Bible well from beginning to end, what you might remember is that there's already been a guy who climbed a mountain on the seventh day. If you look at the book of Exodus, we meet this guy named Moses who climbed a mountain on the seventh day to experience the kingdom of God on earth. After God had miraculously led his people out of Egypt, Moses was asked to climb Mount Sinai to meet with God. And Exodus tells us that he climbed the mountain, but then a cloud overcame him. You see in this imagery, we've already heard about a cloud. And Moses waits for permission to climb to the top of the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, God calls him to the top of that mountain. You see this. And what does he experience when he gets to the top? A heaven meets earth experience. And so... All this is hyperlinked. We're supposed to be thinking about Moses as Jesus' disciples are experiencing this. He climbs this mountain. And so this mountain becomes important. So now we have, we have Jesus climbing a mountain, having uh, his disciples climbing the mountain, having a heaven meets earth experience. We have Moses climbing a mountain. And then there's a guy in between them, this guy named Elijah, if you're not familiar with his story. He climbed the same mountain Moses did. All right, so I always do this. So this will be further back in history. This is Moses. Moses climbs a mountain, has a heaven meets earth experience. You've got Jesus' disciples climbing the mountain, having a heaven meets earth experience. In between them is Elijah. He climbs the same mountain that Moses did, climbs to the very top of it, and has a heaven meets earth experience with God. I'll read you that out of 1 Kings. Uh, 19, 11 through 12. Then he said, uh, as God's speaking to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the fire, the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. You see, we see in the text that the Lord is in that soft whisper as he begins to speak to Elijah. And so we have Moses climbing a mountain and having an experience with God. We have Elijah climbing this mountain and having this experience with God at the top and then his disciples doing the exact same thing. The word dazzling. The word dazzling. Anybody use that this week? I've got a Chick-fil-A cookie. Even if you're not a mom, if you can prove it to me. Text message, something like that. I don't, I don't know if I've ever used the word dazzling. Like maybe gems, jewels, I don't know. No, no, nowhere in the New Testament. The only time it's used, Mark 9. Only time it's used. Big shocker, okay? However, in the oldest Greek version of the Old Testament, it's used three times. Two times it's used to describe fire and lightning. Okay? So Jesus is at the top of the mountain, and he becomes this dazzling thing that the Old Testament prophets used to describe fire and lightning. Guess what happened on the top of these two mountains? On the top of Moses, when Moses climbed the mountain, it says that God spoke to him through thunder and lightning. And guess what happened to Elijah? We just read it. There was fire on the top of the mountain. Do you see how all this is just, we're supposed to see this. We're supposed to see this. This is a bigger story that's being pieced together. And these two guys, Moses and Elijah, they've had these encounters. And now, not only is Moses, did Moses climb this mountain, now he's on this mountain. Remember? Moses and Elijah, the two guys who met with Jesus on top of a mountain, are now in this new situation. And there's a cloud on Moses' mountain, and a voice speaks from the, from the cloud. Listen to this. This is Exodus 19.9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. God said, I want to speak from the cloud. I want to speak so that people will know, will listen to you. I want to validate you. What is the, what is the voice in Mark? What does he say? When God speaks from the cloud, he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But like all of these three stories are just being pieced together for his disciples. The biggest one that really answers the question, what does it mean, comes from the transfiguration itself. See, after being on the mountain and speaking with the Lord back here in Moses, Moses and God's interaction turns super personal. It's this crazy experience, but Moses begins to ask God a lot of questions. And all of chapter 3 is worth your reading later. If you haven't read Exodus 33, go back and read it. And it's actually where we get the prayer that I pray each week. Teach us to know you and be with us. That comes from Moses in Exodus 13. But after all of that, Moses makes this request to God. He says, please, let me see your glory. That's what he says. Let me see your glory. Now, glory is not a word we use either. Probably a lot. But this was a big deal. The Lord had spoken with people through angels or messengers of the Lord, but no one since sin entered the world has seen the Lord. So this was a big ask, right? This was a big, this was a big question Moses is asking. The word glory is, is a reference to one's splendor, their honor, their abundance, their wealth. Its root literally means weight, 
the weight that some point, something or someone else has. So Moses asked God, can I see your weight? Which is fun, right? It's like a Mother's Day little thing there. Like mothers not wanting to know their weights. No. All right. So can I see your weight? Like don't ask, don't ask anybody that today. Can I see your weight? Can I see your fullness? Can I see your bigness? When Moses asked the Lord, can I see your glory? That's what he's talking about. And God gives him this answer in Exodus 33. I'll cause all my goodness, all my glory to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here's a place near me. Stand on this rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back. But my face will not be seen. So God does not allow Moses to experience his glory straight on. It's shielded. Now, this is a term that gets picked up. We talked about this uh, about four weeks ago. We talked about the temple, right? God knew people can't handle being in my presence because they have sin in their life. And so he, he, we developed this, this shield, what the, the temple called the veil, this veil that went around the temple to contain his glory, to hide his glory from humans. And at the end of chapter 4, Moses comes down the mountain. A little surprise, though. Verse 29, Moses descends from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And he descended the mountain, but did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. I had, uh, I had lunch with Jason Camp uh, a couple weeks ago. He invited me to come to lunch. Y'all don't know Jason and Stacy. You need to meet them. Um, and I got sunburnt, and I didn't realize it. I went to Cash and Jack's and sat outside uh, in the sun. And I got back that night. Uh, that night it was Wednesday night, and Monica said, uh, Kenny's wife said, Where'd you, where have you been in the sun? I was like, I haven't. And I looked down, and there's just this perfect, like, just sunburned moment. And I was like, how did that happen, right? And uh, that wasn't in my notes, and I'm trying to tie it in now. But sometimes uh, that's similar. So Moses is coming down off this mountain, and his face is shining probably about as bright as my arms were that day. His face was glowing just from having spoken and seeing a veiled form of the glory of God. Didn't even see all of God's glory, just saw a glimpse of it. And then you skip to, that's on this mountain. Then let's skip to this mountain with Elijah. Elijah's in a cave when the presence of the Lord passes by. And this is what he does. When Elijah hears the voice of God, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Elijah said, I know, he's thinking, I know how this plays out. I've got to be careful here. The presence of the Lord I can't handle. I've heard the story about Moses. I know that the presence of God is too heavy for me. And so he wraps something around his head as a veil. And we get back to verse, so now let's get back to this mountain. Where is the glory of God in this story, on this mountain? Though Mark does not use the word glory, Luke, in his retelling of this event, does. He says that these three disciples saw his glory, saw Jesus's glory. After Moses had been with God, his face was shining. But is that why Jesus is shining here? Think about that. 
Moses back on this mountain. He meets with the Lord and his face is shining coming down. Is that why Jesus' face and his body were shining? I'll argue no. Are you familiar with the sun and the moon? So that's awkward that you don't answer. Do you know what the sun and the moon are? I hope you do. Thank you. Thank you. It's a star and a rock. Okay. The sun is a source of light. I read this week, this is a weird fact, that the sun is a thousand times brighter than a 100 watt bulb that's 10 feet away from you. Okay. So think about that. 100 watt bulb without a shade on it, staring at it. If it's 10 feet away from you, the sun is a thousand times brighter than that, but it's a lot farther than 10 feet away. That's how bright the sun appears. Now, the moon, however, is a big rock. Um, But it's kind of reflective, so when the sun's light shines on it, it reflects some of it back to the earth, and therefore it appears bright. But it's not putting out its own light, it only reflects the sun's light. In the same way, Moses' face back on this mountain was glowing like the moon, right? He wasn't the source of his glory. It wasn't Moses' glory that the people saw. It was the Lord's glory on his face. It wasn't Moses' glory, it was the residual glory of God. But what about on this mountain? Was it, was it just that God had revealed himself in this moment that Jesus began to shine, or was he the source? pastor and author I read this week, uh, just in preparation to preach, said, so Jesus in this moment underwent a transformation, a metamorphosis. And suddenly, the glory that was hidden and veiled in the cloak of his humanity burst forth, revealing the full deity or the godness of Christ to the watching disciples. And then later he says this, The source of the light the disciples saw came from within Christ himself. His internal, inherent glory was bursting forth before their very eyes. It is this event that John has in mind when he writes, We beheld his glory the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, in John 1.14. You see this. John writes, we beheld his glory. He was one of the three on the mountain. This brightness that they're seeing in Christ is not a reflective glory. In this moment, the glory and weight of who Jesus is is allowed to shine through his human skin. In this moment, Peter, James, and John had to realize one thing, and that is that this guy is different, (laughs) right? I've hung out with a lot of you, and some of us have even like been up on a higher place, and I've never seen any of you start glowing. And if we did, I I don't know what I would do. But in this moment, the three disciples that are there, they experienced here a cosmic heaven-meets-earth moment, just like on these two previous mountains. But here's what was different. These two men climbed the mountain for God to come down to them. These three disciples climbed the mountain with God himself. Think about that. Jesus, God didn't come down the mountain. He went up with them in the person of Jesus Christ. This is, this is, why, this is what this means to the disciples. They knew about the story of Moses. They knew about the story of Elijah. And then they're experiencing their own version of this here with Jesus. And it would have blown them away. And they would have, they would have not in the moment doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. But the next big question that it leads us to is what did it do? Now, I wish I could say that these three guys that climbed the mountain never wavered in their faith in Jesus again. <laughs> They'd seen this crazy 
ninja turtle metamorphosis, but they still struggled at times to understand. Even though they had this moment to look back on, this really, really cool thing, they still struggled to understand and believe Jesus' teaching and his leading. Jesus, the perfect image of the glory of God, but he began to shape the theology and beliefs of his followers. This is one of the moments, as you've already seen in John 1.14, it's one of the moments that they come back to. It shaped what they believed about Jesus. But it also shapes what we know about ourselves. Paul, so Paul wasn't on that mountain, but he spent time with the three guys that were. Paul is a disciple who, of Jesus who comes later after Jesus is, is resurrected and ascends back to the Father. But Paul is a guy who writes a bunch of the letters of our New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians, verses thir- uh, verse 3, 18, this is what Paul says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God. Again, these are all hyperlinks, right, that are drawing our minds back to these three mountains. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed, literally the same word in the Greek, the transfigured word, into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there's two images in this text that I just want to help you see as we wrap up today. Two images. The first is this, the image of this unveiled face looking at the glory of God. You might not know this, after Moses was in the presence of God, right, his face shone, we talked about that, he started wearing some sort of veil over his face. Um, so if you don't know this about Kenny, our associate pastor, he's a uh, uh, apiarist, which means he takes care of bees. Um, beekeeper just doesn't sound nearly as cool. And so he's got a full bee suit uh, that he rarely wears. And if you saw him three weeks ago, he got stung on the eyelid by a bee. So maybe he's back in the suit this week. I don't know. But like, that's what I picture. I, I don't know. For some reason, like I pictured that as Moses's veil, but he wears some sort of veil, something that, that hides the, uh, the, the glow of Moses' face so those around him aren't, won't be weirded out so much. And then he continues to wear that veil as the glow fades from his face. But here Paul says that we can, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of the Lord to those around us. To experience salvation is to experience the glory of God. These three disciples had this moment, this transfiguration to look back at. Church, I, I was saved at seven years old. And I have that moment. I remember what I was feeling. I remember that. Not all of you can remember the details if you're saved young like that. But I just remember weird, like I remember certain things. High school, I don't remember any of it. Like I don't know. I don't know what happened besides the B-team basketball game. But like I remember what it felt like when I was saved. I remember that moment. So I have this moment to look back on. To experience salvation is to experience the glory of God. That seven-year-old kid became a moon that reflected God's glory to those around him. And I did that back then by mimicking the character of Christ and telling others about his mission. And God called me that day to not only do that that day or the next year for the next, for the next few months, but to do that the rest of my life. Fallon's going to be baptized. Fallon Black's going to be baptized at the end of our service today. I asked her three questions yesterday. And the last one's the hardest one that I ask people when, when, when they're coming forward to, 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 to express to this church that they're saved, I ask her the question, do you commit to follow the Lord the rest of your life? Because that's an important question to ask because I wanted her to know, look, I know you're seven, eight, however old you are. 
Praise God for that. But one day you're going to be 18. One day you're going to be 28, 38, 48. And like the commitment you're making today has got to last. It's supposed to last. But what often happens is what happened to me at that little seven-year-old boy is it began to fade. There have been times in my life where if you were to poll those around me, now I don't mean those close to me that will lie for me. You know you got friends like that, right? Hey, is he a good Christian? Oh, yeah, man, he's solid. He's a, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about those that won't lie for you. Those will be straight with me. There were times in my life where you had met those people, those acquaintances, those kind of uh, not the people that were walking with me every day. If you were to ask them, does Heath Haney reflect the glory of God through his life? There were many times throughout my life where that answer would be, eh, at best. Sometimes an outright no. And so I ask you the same question. If I were to ask the people, not those that would lie for you, but those that would tell me the truth, would they say they see the reflection of the glory of God on your face through your life? If not, I'm going to tell you, they're one of two problems. One, as I've already said, like Moses, it's faded. You haven't spent time with Jesus like you used to. The glory that once filled your face has grown stale. Again, I hear you on this, but we have got to prioritize time with God. We've got to carve out of our lives times for God to speak to us, to show us things, and to grow us. If you have no time because of your busyness, something's got to go, and it can't be your time with God. Cut something. But the other issue, it may be, is that you've never experienced His glory to begin with. You don't have that moment where you experienced it. But here's the good news I have for you. The Bible says that you can. The Bible says to repent and believe. To repent simply means to acknowledge that you are not good at running your own life. That you make a mess of things and you turn to God for help and answers. To believe means to trust that Jesus is the only answer for your messed up, wretched self. Repent and believe, and you can experience the glory of God. If you'd like to talk with someone today about that, uh, we're going to sing a song here in a moment, and I'm going to stand back there at the back, next to the sound booth on your left, just to, to be there, to be able to talk with you about next steps, what it would look like for you to begin to follow Jesus, and to begin to reflect Christ's character and life to others. But for those of you who are already Christians, I want to encourage you with something. Isn't it always good when the pastor ends with a word of encouragement? <laughs> And not just conviction. I hope it is. It's encouraging me. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's look at it again. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Notice that's that, that part that we are being transformed. Again, as I said, it's the same word transfigure. It's the same word metamorpho. We are being transformed into that image, the glory of God. God is working to make you more like Jesus. The work on God's part is underway in you. Keep seeking the Lord and trusting him to do the work as we pursue Christ, and he will make you into the image of Christ. He will. Today, I don't know all the ways that God may have spoken to you. We want to simply give you a chance to respond to God. You can do it through singing with a better or renewed understanding of who Jesus is in light of these three mountains. 
You can pray right where you are or at this altar for others or for yourself. You can talk with me about any next steps that God has placed on your heart. I'll be at the back. But I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to stand and sing this beautiful song to close out with today. And you can respond however you need to. Let's, let's, uh, let me pray, and then we'll stand. Father, we thank you, God, that, uh, that in Christ we are... Uh, <laughs> God, in Christ, this, this one who was transfigured on the mountain... God, not like Moses and Elijah. God, they just experienced your glory. Jesus was the glory of God. And, and I get to call him Christ and Messiah and, and friend and Savior. And God, even that alone just overwhelms me this morning. But God, I know that God, there's some here maybe who just never trusted in you. Um, but God, I think you brought them here. God, you want to show them your glory. You want them to become these, these image bearers of God, these ones who are supposed to, to show the glory of God to the world. And God, I pray that today, God, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you as their Savior, that they would. Today, they come talk to me or do it in their own heart. God, they know, what, they know how things work. God, they know how to call on you. God, I pray for those of us who are Christians, God, that we would have a renewed passion to reflect your glory, God, as, as moons walking around uh, tomorrow, God, that you would in our hearts and our spirits remind us, God, what it looks like. Remind us, God, that our call is to bear the image, to bear the glory to those around us. May we reflect and mimic the image of Christ tomorrow in our workplace, in our families, God, through the way we live our lives. God, we thank you for all of this that Jesus made possible, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen, guys. Let's, let's stand. You can respond however you need to.